So join with me, everyone, on your feet. Let's welcome Wilson Cochran today. Hey, he said everyone. I saw some of you guys. Hey, uh, good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Um, so I want to tell you guys two cool things that have been, that, uh, something cool that happened yesterday, and then also a kind of prayer request that we need to be praying for, something that happened earlier this week. So we do a thing called Healing on the Streets uh, every single Saturday from 12 to 2. We're in Northgate Mall praying for people and just... Uh, Really, we believe that healing is so much part of the gospel that it should be advertised. (laughs) So we put a banner up in the mall that says healing. And then we hand out little pamphlets that say, hey, come get prayer. We love you. We want to bless you. People come sit down and get prayer. So yesterday, um, I was leading the team and 35 people sat down and got prayer in the two hours we were doing it. So that's really cool. That's something to celebrate in and of itself. But two quick stories that they were really fun from yesterday. First, our kids jam director, our kids ministries director, Sarah Anderson. Um, she's not like, she's not going to say, Hey, I'm the most bold, crazy evangelist ever. I just want to go pray for everybody. In fact, if if she was going to be honest with you, she'll tell you like that kind of freaks me out a little bit. That's not like something I'm super comfortable with, but she, she wants to grow there. So she came to HOTS yesterday and volunteered on a Healing on the Streets team. And the first lady that sits down for prayer, um, I'm like, Sarah, there you go. Here's your chance. So she goes and kneels down. We kneel down and get eye level with a person. And she had a partner. And they just asked the woman, what would you like prayer for? What's going on? And she said that she had MS. And so she had lost feeling in her feet and her hands as well. So... I mean, that's, a, that's like a Goliath, right? MS, oh my goodness, that's, that's a huge thing, right? But they just went with the simple love of Jesus. And they just believed in the simple power of the cross. It's not complex. It's not, you know, like fasting for two weeks and then saying the exactly right words and you pray. And they just said, Father, we thank you that you love this person and we bless them and we just speak wholeness to their body, feet receive feeling hands receive feeling and instantly she had feeling back in her feet and she said that her hands began to tingle so that's what we're talking about when we just say the simple demonstration of God's love simple demonstration of the cross another young man sat down he kind of got roped in because it was his friend that really wanted prayer but uh we were like hey you're sitting down too bro so he sat down also and he had scoliosis so his back you know, he had, he had a lot of back pain. Something we've learned is that lots of times when people have scoliosis or different back problems, what happens is that their legs have gotten out of alignment or one of their legs, their hips have shifted in, in different ways. And that causes like a difference in the length of their legs, not necessarily in the bones, but just in how their legs are resting on, on the floor. So imagine walking like that, how, how that would screw your back up. So I just asked him, Hey, do you know your leg? Are your legs the same length? And he said, yeah. I mean, that's what everybody thinks, you know, like who in here is going to be like, yeah, my legs are shorter. Um, some people know, right? So we just said, well, can we check? Can we just test it? And he said, yeah, sure. So he lifted his legs up and sure enough, his left leg was like a half inch shorter or misaligned from his right leg. And you can tell by people's ankle bones 
You know, like your ankle bones should be in the same spot, but his one, his, on his left leg, his ankle bone was a little bit higher. And he looked at it just with eyes like saucers, like what? Like, you know, that's a pretty big news. My legs are off. And we just, same thing, simple love of Jesus prayed for him and instantly like before our eyes, like it's hard to believe his leg just moves out and his, and, and his back corrects and his back heals. And it's the same exact length as his other leg. And he stands up and just goes, I don't feel anything anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't feel the pain. Like my back feels better. So, so obviously after that tangible expression of God's love, any preconceived notion of Jesus, um, any baggage this guy had about Jesus religion is gone, you know, cause he just experienced God. He just had an experience with God. It wasn't just in here anymore as in here. And he said, I just, this is so real. I just don't, this is so real. I don't understand. This is so real. Like you, why are you guys, you guys, I feel like you guys love me. And we're like, yeah, we do love you, man. And we just led him into a relationship with Jesus. And he prayed and accepted Christ into his heart, just right there in the middle of the mall. So let's just, let's just pray for both those people real quick. Father, bless them. Bless Dan, the young man that accepted Jesus. Bless um, the woman. I can't remember her name. Who's been battling MS. You just say complete healing in her body. Let that seed that was planted yesterday continue to grow. And we just speak faith over her life. And um, yeah, we just, we just say that MS is not a Goliath. That cancer is not a Goliath. That it's not too big of an enemy for the cross and for the love of Jesus to conquer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's a young girl. I'm just going bang, 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 because I want to get to my message, okay? But this is, this is really important. Who knows Janae Turley? Janae is a le- was a leader for years in our young adult house group ministry. Last summer, we uh, sent her... She, she's part of a missions organization called Africa Inland Mission, and we are her covering, we're her sending church, sent her to the Central African Republic, which is a, uh, a very, um, it's, a, it's a country that's in a lot of tumult and chaos and revolution and civil war and stuff like that. There was a window that it seemed like there is, there is good peace. The government has a control on things. So her and her team went in to begin to reach out to an Islamic tribe. And the, the situation has escalated, basically. And last week, Janae and her team, they'd been there for several months at this point. Last week, they were alerted that they were going to have to leave the country. That all of, all of any Americans in the country were being ordered to leave. And, and they had to leave. So that is last... That's two weeks ago. That's like two Fridays ago, okay? Not this Friday, just happened, but the Friday before that. Well, Thursday morning, I wake up to an email from her saying that I am in Uganda. And I was awoken last night at 1 a.m. by a team member because there were gunshots and fighting had broken out. And so within 12 hours, me and our entire team have been evacuated and we're all in Uganda now. So be praying for us. And so crazy, right? That's like something you would read about in the book of Acts, like something happened to Apostle Paul. And I got the chance to talk to her this week on the phone. And uh, she really just asked that we'd be praying for her, praying for healing for her team. Because, you know, they've been investing their time with people. And they, like that, just had to leave. They didn't get to say goodbye to anyone. They didn't get to tell anyone, hey, we're leaving. They just had to 
take off for their own safety. So be praying for them. That's a really hard, traumatic thing. Be praying for the people in Central African Republic for peace and just, you know, Holy Spirit to break in on that nation even more. But also be praying for Janae. She's wanting uh, to figure out what her next step is. She still wants to stay in the Central African, or somewhere in Africa, but just be praying for wisdom for her on where to go next, all right? So you guys be praying for that? Yes. Great. Okay, like Nick said, we are in a series right now called Identity 3D. And the reason that we called this series Identity 3D was because your identity in Christ, who you, who you think you are, slash what the Bible says about who you are, that's what we would say is your identity, is not a one-dimensional thing. It's three-dimensional. Three-dimensional in that it affects every single area of your life. It affects every single thing you do, every single thing you think and believe. So it's really important to be able to answer the question, who is God and who does he say that I am? Who is God and who does he say that I am? We should be able to answer that with confidence and we want to answer that with victory. You know, like the Bible says pretty amazing, hard to believe things about who we are in God. You know, like it says that we're righteous. It says that we're holy. It says that we're blameless. It says all these things that really take faith to believe, you know, like sometimes our experience is contrary, right? To what the Bible says about who we are, but we can never let our experience become our belief system. We can't let experience become the thing that dictates how we look at the world, how we look at God, and how we look at ourselves. If that were the case, I never would have prayed for that young man's back to be healed who gave his life to Jesus. Because I've had a lot, I have personally had a lot of experience where people were not healed. I've had a lot of experience where people's legs didn't grow. What if I lived off that experience instead of living off the word of God? That, that'd stink, <laughs> especially for Dan, who's back God healed. Other people's lives depend on your belief. Do you know that? Other people's relationships with God depend on what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself. So a, uh, a topic that's especially relevant in our culture is sexuality, is how should sexuality be expressed? Um, homosexuality, bi- being bisexual, um, just being heterosexual, but sleeping with multiple partners, you know, ju- looking at pornography, all this stuff is like such a topic in our culture, right? This is a driving force in our culture is sex. You know, you've heard the saying before, sex sells. <laughs> it's true, right? It does. Um, And so it would be really a shame and it'd be really sad if what the church believed about sex and sexuality was dictated by commercials on TV and by what um, the latest movie or the latest song said about it, right? And if I'm going to be honest, I don't think we're at risk for that. The church is pretty good, I would say, at not being influenced by the world. But you know where we need to grow? Influencing the world, (laughs) influencing the world. Stop being influenced by fear and influence the world. That, that's our job. That's why we gather here on Sundays is to be encouraged, to, be, to learn, but then to go and influence everything we do with the kingdom of God and with the reality that Jesus is crazy, head over heels, in love with humanity. 
Do you know that? That God loves humanity. He died for humanity. He didn't, he didn't die for the good people. Because you know in Romans it says that when he died, we were all bad. Here's what Jesus did. He went to the cross and died knowing that every one of us in this room might reject him. But he still did it because he loves you. And he wanted to create a way for you to be in relationship with him. He wanted to create a way for you to come back to who you really are supposed to be, for you to live in your identity, for you to figure out who does God say I am. Jesus came to show us a clear picture of who God is. And I, lo- it, I love how Jesus responded to this, this situation with a woman who had been caught in adultery. You see, in Jesus' day, um, adultery was like a very, very big deal to Jews. Like, Adultery was worthy. If you had committed adultery, the man and woman were both worthy of receiving a death sentence. No questions asked. That was the perspective. That was the worldview on adultery. And um, Jesus comes and shows us how we are supposed to respond when people are in sexual sin. How we're supposed to respond to someone who is in a, uh, in a moment of shame and horror and disgust. And kind of digressing, but in the story, these, uh, these religious leaders, they catch a woman as she's committed adultery and they bring her before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the law says that we're supposed to stone this woman. You know, it's convenient that they didn't bring the dude, right? Like anyways, um, and they said, Jesus, we're supposed to stone, we're supposed to stone her. Like, what, what do you think? You know? And they're trying to kind of trick Jesus and they're trying to make Jesus be the bad guy. They're trying to like, you know, make, oh, you talk about love so much, but you got to follow the law. They didn't realize that Jesus was God and Jesus didn't live on their terms. You know, Jesus set the terms. Jesus came to reveal to us what the scriptures attempted to reveal. You know that, that the Old Testament is doing its very best to reveal what God is like. It's doing its very best. And it does. It reveals him a lot. But it's Jesus that is the fulfillment of who God is. Jesus comes to fulfill and show us God's nature, you know? So Jesus kind of like starts to ignore them and they keep pestering him. What do we do? What do we do? Like, let's stone her. And Jesus says, all right, which one of you guys is without sin? Which one of you guys has never had a sinful desire? Which one of you guys has never acted in a sinful way? You can be the first person to throw the stone. You be the first person. Now, if I was going to be honest, I'm trying to change this, but I'm pretty good at throwing stones. I'm, I am comfortable there, you know, and I get some sick satisfaction out of it, honestly. And I, I would say I used to, let's just hope I'm growing. Okay. But, uh, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't look at the situation and say, well, man, they're, they're right. She's that she, she did something wrong and they're right. But also, I really want to love her. So, oh no, what do I do? And he got all anxious and he started to worry. What will they think if I, if I express love to her? What will people think about me if I, you know, go and talk to this prostitute or this, this adulteress? Or even worse, what will people think of me if I don't? I won't be backing up what I say I preach. But, the, you know, he didn't get caught in this back and forth. See, Jesus knew that truth and love were not competing forces. Truth and love weren't competing principles. He saw that love was the point. That love is truth. 
And that loving someone is the truth. Jesus was love. He was the truth. He, he, his actions would demonstrate love. His actions would demonstrate truth. Not, the, not necessarily his words or what other people thought about his actions. So what does Jesus do? Tells them, if you're not without sin, you cast the first stone. So it kind of takes her off the hook, right? He actually defends her is what he's doing. He's sticking up for her. But he doesn't stop there because he knows that that's not what she's created to be like. The things that she was doing is not who she was created to be and what she was created to do. So he says, daughter, who accuses you? You know, first of all, he points out that no one's against her, that he himself, he says, I don't accuse you either. But he says, but go and sin no more. He says, go and sin no more. You see, Jesus was willing to love and speak the truth in the same instant. You know why? Because he wasn't scared of what other people thought. He wasn't scared of what other people's, um, what a like, a strict, you know, religious mindset would be about how to act in that situation. And that's why I can stand before you right now and say this. I love the homosexual community. I love gay people. I love people who are homosexual, bisexual, transgender, any, I love them so much. I've had many sincere friendships with, with guys and girls, mostly guys who struggled with this. But the Bible is very clear about what is God's best for someone's sex life. What is God's best? What is his will for what sex should look like and for what marriage should look like? So I've had to have a hard conversation before and tell a good friend, no, I do not think that this is God's will for your life, to be in a a relationship with another man, to be in a homosexual relationship. No, I do not think God created you the wrong gender. No, I do not think that... Um, you should just do what you feel and that you should just do what, you know, is, it seems like it's going to make you happy. But you know, I've been, usually when I've had to do that, I've been backed into a corner (laughs) because I'm much more prone and I'm much more excited to tell them how much God loves them and to continue to demonstrate Jesus to them, continue to give them chances and expose them to God's presence so that he can back me up so that his spirit can testify in their heart to that truth. It's true regardless, you know, like, man, it's just true regardless that God's will is for sex to be between a man and a woman, you know, like God's will is for marriage to be between a man and a woman, but every, but our culture is no, just our world. Homosexuality isn't a new thing. You know that? Like, it's not like this new problem that's happening. Okay. We just have more, we have more accessibility and information. So it seems like a bigger problem, you know, but, uh, like to the media and stuff like that. It's not a new problem. God's not worried. What do we do about it? God is focused on loving everyone and loving them so much and so persistently and so free from what other people think about your love that people can have those aha moments of, wow, this isn't God's best for me. This isn't who I'm supposed to be. And it says in, in John eight thirty two, Jesus said this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When it says you will know the truth, it's not, what that means isn't someone will say something true to you, you will hear that and then you will be free. It's saying you will know as in experientially, like knowing in your heart, experiencing in your mind, the truth, and then that will set you free. 
people, so we have to be willing to love. We have to be willing to love, 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 love. And, okay, so there's a guy that came to house group early on when there was only like seven of us. And um, I worked with him. And he started coming to house group. And I could kind of, if I was going to be honest, my suspicion was that he was gay. This is my suspicion. I'm just being honest with you. And he uh, came, he came week after week, really became a close friend of mine. Honestly, we worked together and we do house group together. So it was like, we got to see a lot of each other, go out to eat. We were, we were good friends. And it kept on kind of like rising to the surface, you know, like indirectly this question of is homosexuality okay? Is it okay for me to pursue a relationship with another man? indirectly would come up. And what I mean is he wouldn't literally ask that question, but he'd be like, well, what do we do if we have desires that it seems like the Bible says aren't good, but they're just, you know, so, so real for me. And, and it would kind of come up in different ways. And I would always just kind of like, we'd, we'd speak truth, but we wouldn't like dive deeper into it. You know, like, like I said, like I didn't, that wasn't something I was trying to address right away. Cause I wanted to give him more exposure to God's presence. I wanted to give him more time to really know that he's loved. One night in a Bible study, he just point blank asked, he just point blank asked me, Wilson, what do you think of me pursuing a relationship with another man? Like, is that okay? Do you think that that, that God like would support me in that? And I kind of like said something like, well, you know, I don't know what you're asking exactly, but um, what do you think about this verse? You know, like, and uh, it's like, okay, like, Again, he brings it up. And I just said, dude, Sam, I don't, I don't, why, why is this, why do you want to talk about this? Like, I, I was really wanting to hear his heart. Like, why do you, do you actually care what I have to say? Or is this just like, you can't take it anymore. You got to talk about it. And kept persisting. And finally, I just said, dude, I do not think it's God's will for you. I think he made you a certain way. And it, you know, biologically, he made you a certain way. And your desires should not dictate your beliefs about yourself. And your desires no matter how deeply ingrained they are. Actually, no, I didn't say all this articulate stuff. This is what I would have said. I just said, dude, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's God's will. I don't think that's what the Bible shows us. I was just honest. Like, I think that's, I don't think that's God's best for you. You know what he did? He said, goodbye. See you later. We can't be friends anymore. You've rejected me at my core. Like, I cannot, you cannot say you love me and you accept me if you want to accept me for this. So this is, you don't understand like how hard my life has been with this, with this battling this. I, he was raised Catholic and I, I thought I could trust you, but I obviously can't trust you. And this just, I, I can't ever come back here. We can't be friends. The really awkward thing is we work together. So we saw each other all the time, but, um, he didn't quit the job. But, uh, the next day Luke went and got lunch with him. Luke pursued him and tried to talk to him more. And just the same wall, he was saying like, you cannot, um, you cannot say you guys love me and accept me and want me a part of house group if you won't accept this part of me. And, you know, Luke and I and all of us, we learned two really important things from that. Two really, really important lessons. The first was, you got to stand up for truth. You know, like, you don't need to, you don't need to like beat people over the head with it. And like, you know, I wasn't running after him trying to believe this, but you got to stand up for truth. You got to be honest with what the truth is. But what was eye-opening to me, what totally changed my perspective about this issue was how hurt and broken he was over this. That this was a deep, 
deep feeling of rejection he had. And that is valid. Those feelings he had, those were real. And my heart breaks for that. And I had no idea the struggle he had been through. I had no idea how hard and how painful it was to hear someone who he loved, who he had grown to love me, tell him that this was wrong. That hurt him so much. That hurt him so much. And I I just wasn't aware of how interrelated of a topic this is into someone's identity and who they are. (coughs) I had no idea. And we all need to ponder that, you know? We all need to realize that that's a thing. That this is really important to people. That this is a defining characteristic about people. And how would you like it if someone came and told you that a deeply defining, important thing that you'd received persecution about in your life was wrong? How many of us would be like, oh, I guess you're right. (laughs) No, that would feel like a knife right in the gut, twisted. That That would kill, that would hurt. Like, we have to realize that we're not just talking about something here that's like, oh man, you got to get over it. You got to just, you know, like the, like you, if you're a girl, you should like guys. It's just that simple. Like that's a pretty stupid attitude to have because you're totally ignoring people's emotions and their hearts and what's going on in their inner world. This isn't, there's no simple answers to this thing, but we do think that the answer is figure out your identity. We think that the Bible clearly teaches us what our identity is. And that's why we're talking about it in this series. So for the next 10 minutes, maybe 15, I'm going to just unpack a little bit about what we see in the Bible as God's design for marriage, God's design for sex. And um, our hope, my hope would be that in these next 10 minutes, you have your heart open and you get your heart postured in such a way that you can be a leader in this area in the world. That you can be someone that is, that is um, shaping culture on how Christians think and feel about sexuality struggles. Okay? So, in Genesis 2, 18, well, let, me, let me show you this quote that I think is so good. It's by Chris Vallotton. He's a pastor in uh, Redding, California at a really awesome church called Bethel. Um, here's what he says. Sex. The world perverts it. Religion shames it, but the kingdom celebrates it. Isn't that good? Sex, the world perverts it. Religion shames it, but the kingdom celebrates it. Isn't that good? That's so true. You know, God designed sex. He designed it. It's his idea, okay? In Genesis 2, verses 18, starting in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused, a de- you know, helper there really quick. That's not like helper there doesn't mean someone who will hand me the nails, you know, as I build something or like helper isn't like the little kid that's cute that can't actually cook, but you know, breaks the eggs. Like that's not what this word helper means. Okay. This word helper means a war ally. This word means in Hebrew, Van knows this. Um, that I don't know this. I don't know Hebrew, but he, he told me, so. (laughs) 
helper there, what that means is a war ally, a military ally. In the Old Testament, God was often described as Israel's helper. Wow. How do you like that? <laughs> In World War II, the United States came into the war as a helper to the allied forces. Right? That's what we did. We came in to help turn the tide of the war. So verse uh, 21 So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, wow. (laughs) He said, whoa, I like that. (laughs) That that looks pretty good, God. (laughs) Amazing. You know that really, again, in the Hebrew there, there is an expression. There is a word that's just not translated because they don't know how to translate it. But it's basically like an expression of like, whoa, wow, amazing. That's hot. (laughs) This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the woman and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Oh, my bad. And the woman, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's what happens when you try and read your notes and the, and the scripture at the same time. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So... Jesus, Jesus reiterated this, okay? <laughs> Jesus reiterates this same principle. He says in Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What's the point? God designed sex for the context of marriage, okay? That is the exclusive designation that God made for sexual relations. And I think even that he, he kind of made it so that deep romantic affection would be in the context of marriage. Cause that's where it's safe. That's where it's protected. You know, that's where it's meant to be. And obviously it's been distorted and we gotta, we gotta, that's where we gotta renew our mind and understand our identity as a sexual being. Cause we're created sexual, you know, like I'm just going to, I don't want to be too like, you know, uh, bad here, but I'm probably going to say the word penis at some point and I'm probably gonna say the word vagina. And like he, he made us with those, with those body parts to have sex, you know, like that was a feature of them, but he didn't make them to be used outside of marriage. He made us to, to have sex inside of marriage. That's where the union is formed. That's where the deep intimacy is formed. That's where, that's the, that's the point of it all. In, in verse 24, he highlights this. He says, leave father and mother. He's saying, change the, the closest relationships you used to have, mom and dad. Now you're going to have a new relationship this close. And think about this even. The, you, you're born, you know, where you're born out of, the place you come out of the vagina is the same place where you then become one flesh with your wife. And the, and the woman where you were created, you know, out of your father's penis, that is the thing that then you are united with your husband with. That is where the one flesh thing happens, okay? Like, it's, it's, it's a deep thing here. It's not just accidental, you know? 
He says, hold fast to one another. Hold fast to one another. Again, that's just an allusion to intimacy, to being close. And they shall become one flesh. Like, you know, one flesh isn't a figure of speech. It's talking about flesh touching, flesh becoming one, flesh intermingling. Um, I should have said this earlier, but if you have your kids in here, just have a talk with them, all right? <laughs> Look, here's the truth. This is good stuff, okay? This is just true. We don't need to be ashamed of these words. All right. Not only did God design us to have sex and design us with those instruments, he designed us to be sexual. In verse 25, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, they were naked and not ashamed. That means he was creating them to like what they saw when they saw each other. That, that means they had sex drives. It means they were sexual, you know, he created them that way. A sex drive isn't a curse. A sex drive is a gift from God. It's a thing that we use for our, for our spouse to answer that drive, for our spouse to answer that call, and to fulfill us in a way that only our spouse can. And thus intimacy is formed that can only be, that can only be had between you and your spouse. That, that's why it's so deeply ingrained into us. That's why we're so hardwired and desire sex so much. Because it, when it's fulfilled in the right way, it is so, so fulfilling. <laughs> My throat's kind of hurting, so I'm just. You know that show? Have you heard of that show, Naked and Afraid? Have you ever heard of that TV show? It's like where they drop people naked into like a forest and see a lot, like with a couple of different, um, like like a knife and uh, like tarp and stuff, and they see how long they can survive. It's a TV show, okay? They blur it out, so it's on like A and E or whatever. Um, but that is our, that is our perception of what, what naked should be like, right? Like I'm naked and ashamed, naked and afraid, but that's not how God designed it. He created you to be in love with your body. He created you to be proud of yourself. And, and the reason was because you had a knowledge that the creator made you that way, that he created you just like that, that there's no standard for what is best looking, what is most attractive, what it, no man, you, your entire body was created by God and he loves you. And you should love yourself too. Wilson, love yourself more. Okay, I'm saying it to myself also. Um, last thing I'm going to say, just, just to uh, kind of land this a little bit. In Roman, like, like I've been saying, God designed it for a man and a woman. In Romans 1, 25 to 27, Paul writes, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Pause. Look at what the first thing they do. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped themselves. That's what it's saying. They're supposed to worship God. They're supposed to recognize truth about God, but they change it for what they thought was true. And we're, we're going to find out here why they thought it was true. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion dishonorable passions. You know what this shows us? That we can have passions. As a human being, you can have a desire and a passion that is not God's passion and is not God's desire. 
We're capable of that. Even a Christian, you know, we're capable of having desires and passions that aren't God's. If we assume that everything I feel and want, no matter how deep, is right, slippery slope, man. Slippery slope. It's what are the, what is, literally, this is honestly how I think of it. What were you anatomically given? Okay. And then it's, it, it ties that idea in this scripture to nature. So that means what was naturally supposed to be, how it was supposed to be exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So it's like, we can just get really elementary here and say that your, your sexual organs don't work with the same sex. That's not, that's not how they're designed. So we can just kind of like realize that the scripture shows us that there's a natural order to not only marriage, but also what sex should look like. And that it's when we exchange our desire for another desire, or it's when we exchange our, when we make our desire God, that we slip up, that we start to believe that there's no hope. And the, the truth is, what I want you to hear is that there is freedom, okay? There is freedom. If you struggle with this, there is so much freedom, fulfilling freedom for you. And if you struggle with hating gays, there's freedom for you too, okay? And there's freedom for you to love and to have mercy. Both sides, there's freedom. And, and it's knowing the truth that will set you free. So it's kind of my like landing. But I just want to say this. Our desires are not our identity, okay? Your desires aren't your identity. And there is so much freedom. There's so much fulfillment when you understand your identity and who um, God created you to be, how he created you to function. You can really live in that. It's, it's possible. I have a good friend who is who has just realized, like, look, I'm either going to choose to act on what my desires are or to live according to the truth that I'm not even experiencing. He's not even feeling the truth, like, real. But he knows that, his, that the truth supersedes his experience. And he's just leaning into that. And, I, man, I admire him so much. That is so brave. That is so courageous. And that is so tough. So what people like that need is us to love them, encourage them, and to give them so much experience with God that they can get there. We need to show God to them so much that they can get to that place. So Father, we just, um, we just say we want to offer experience with you to others. We want to experience you more. We want to know you more. But we also want to share that experience. So I just pray to um, just any spirit that would, that would try and deceive us. Any spirit that would latch on to desires, I just break its hold right now. And I just break the spirit of anger off of people too, spirit of hate off of people. And I just speak mercy into your hearts. But we welcome your presence, God. We welcome you here. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you want to come down? We're going to collect, receive the offering. You know, we're stewards of our money. We're not owners of our possessions and our money. And the way I know that is because I get rid of it way too quickly. <laughs> and I lose it a lot quicker than the other things I own. So when we, you guys can go ahead and, the, the baskets are furthest on the left. So if you're the furthest on the left in your row, there's a basket. If you just grab that and pass it down. But yeah, I just want to encourage you that we are stewards of what God has given us. And when we realize that we have that mindset shift, that we're stewards and not owners, that's when biblical principles for how to handle your finances will just bless you so much. They will prosper you so much. But it's all about that paradigm of us being a steward. Us not being an owner, but us being a steward.
So um, come to that seminar that John Jordan's going to do. He's going to really, his book is really good, and it'll have a lot of truth about how to be a good steward in it. So let's just worship now. We're going to go into a time where we, where we sing and we praise God, and uh, it's going to be fun, okay? So I just encourage you, just let it, let it all out. Worship God however you want to. I'm going to invite you to stand to worship. You may feel free to sit anytime.